0: Hello and welcome to Las Blancas podcast. I'm your host, Om Arvind, and today I'm joined by Yash Thakur to talk about Real Madrid Femenino's final game of the season, a 4-0 loss to Barcelona, unfortunately, in the Copa de la Reina semifinals. Grant won't join us today because he got a concussion playing, I guess, like pickup football or something. Like, I I didn't exactly catch what it was he was saying, but he said final day of the season or something. I, I couldn't tell whether he was talking about his own personal season like his own uh, team he plays with or the fact that this was the final game of the season for Real Madrid and he wasn't able to show up but take care Grant your health first as always and uh, I'm joined by the more than capable Yash as I already said I want to ask how you're doing but I'm just going to assume it's like not
1: that great yeah I mean final game of the season another crushing defeat to Barcelona not great but Yeah, I mean, it was expected on, like, some level. So, yeah, let's break it down.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I think Madrid fans maybe came into this one a little more optimistic than I did. This was not too far away from what I expected. So, like, that doesn't exactly have me down. It's kind of the other stuff, right? Like, question marks over Aslani's future, Cardona's future. Definitely a talking point that we'll end up getting to. But, yeah, in terms of the game, we had, I think, a pretty common lineup. I mean, at this point, it's not something that would have been unexpected, right? Misa and goal. Lucia, Sveva as the fullbacks. Bobs, Rossio as the center backs. Midfield of Zornoza and Tere at the double pivot. Then Maite playing as the number 10 behind Esther, And then Olga on the left, Azne on the right. Pretty much what you expected, right? I mean, maybe you would have swapped in Ivana or Kenti there. But I, at this point, like, it's it's kind of standard.
1: Yeah, I mean, not many complaints about the lineup. To be honest uh maybe you know start aslani because this might this will probably be her last game or something like that but apart from that it was a pretty standard lineup uh from both teams although barcelona had a couple of rotations with uh especially at the pivot with ingrid starting and then martin's uh starting on the left flank as well so apart from that both teams came out with a pretty Standard lineups, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, Pano's in goal, Mapi Paredes at center back, Rolfa at left back, Marte Torajon at right back, midfield of Enyan, Alexia Aitana, Ashwala up top, and then Martins on the left. And then maybe the curveball was Mariona on the right. I don't know why I expected it to be the reverse coming into it, but it very much was Leaky on the left and uh, Mariona on the right, although Mariona to like say she plays anywhere is like kind of a lie. You're just saying it for simplicity's sake because she flows all over the place. And we'll pretty quickly get into how that kind of determined the game for Barca. So right from the off, we're under massive pressure, right? Like literally in the first minute, Sarnoza is having to make a clearance near the line with Rolfa getting a shot at the near post off of a corner kick. It's a series of corners. Misa has to make a save in the third minute, and that kind of sets the tone, right? Like, it's, okay, this is that type of game. And uh, the reason I say maybe Madridistas were a little more optimistic than me going into this one, which I don't know how accurate of a read that was. I did get the sense, especially from the reactions to how we performed, that maybe there was a little bit of an unrealistic sense of how we could have performed in this match. I mean, I, I look, I think the first the leg of the the quarterfinals of the Champions League, right? where we played so well, we led them for about fifty two minutes. That was a great performance. And it's there's still always things I'm going to go back there and look to and be like, okay, how can we re- replicate what we did there? But that was not the same game as this one. Look, Barça just did not really press in that one. for whatever the reason was, whether it was tactical, whether it was because they were tired, and I think, we could say with mild confidence that it's probably because they were tired, given how we've seen them end this season in the run-up to this match, was like that just kind of changed the dynamic a little bit, right? It allowed us to retain possession, get out of that cycle of Barcelona progresses, turnover, counter-press, attack again, which is just almost impossible to get out of, right? Even in the final that Leon won, they had to endure that for like a good 20 minutes after they scored the first goal, right? Like it's not like, oh my god this is happening to Real Madrid what are we doing like this is ridiculous like, this happens to every team when Barca go out and they decide to press right or they're able to progress into the final third which kind of links to their pressing game right because that helps them get possession back quicker then they can restart an attack and there's just no time to beat the opposition right so that was a pretty key difference from this game and that game that I think people should like take note of and then yeah obviously we just didn't perform as well but when we literally the first 20 minutes of the game is like, we have like two entries into the opposition half. I don't know how much more I expect. Like, I don't know what the scheme would be. That's realistic with the players that we have and everything that would be like, Oh man, it would have flipped what we saw. Like Barca just transcended to that rarefied level in possession and in their counter pressing. That was just irresistible. And it was a lot of people who were like i don't see the ambition for us to win you know where's the character like i don't know man like maybe the ambition in the character and like the mental side of it kind of gets deflated when you're not able to touch the ball for literally like half of an entire half and you can't escape your own like the the confines outside your box because they're they, the opposition is that dominant look they're just better than us right and when they play at this level you just got to accept that, right? Like this is a long-term thing. There's not that much we can do in any moment, which is not to say we should not, we should stop thinking about how we go out to play Barca. what are things we can do, but they were really, really playing. This is the best I've seen them play in months, in my opinion. I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, but clearly losing the final really was like a moment of real anger for them. And they took out their anger on us because what we were seeing in possession was just brilliant stuff, right? Mariona playing from a free roll off the right meaning she's going to drift into central areas and all of that and Aitana reacting off of her movement beautifully when Mariona dropped Aitana went in behind like those are just basic counter movements that they were executing just the natural chemistry of the players and it was it was so difficult to mark all of that I mean I'll I'll save that after I give you a chance to to speak real quick because I've already gone on for quite a bit but there was that aspect of it there was Alexia's you know, dismarking on the left-hand side, just stretching out to the touchline, getting free, putting balls into the box. Like the fluidity of that midfield and how they were pulling us apart was ridiculous. The level of coordination that was occurring there—I mean, it was there was very little chance that we we're going to touch the ball unless we had a drastically different level that we haven't shown before out of possession, right? So, yeah, that—that's just my general feeling of the match. I mean, how how do you feel about how, how what did you think was going to happen going into this and? you know what is your i guess feelings about how we played and what we could have done seeing what the what the scoreline was after the final whistle
1: yeah so i mean you covered a lot of it but honestly like going into the game i knew the final would flip some sort of switch in this barcelona side because as you spoke that coming towards the end of the season they have been a little tired so we we could see that in the games and now they have they they had lost two back-to-back games in the Champions League, which is like, which you don't hear very often. Barcelona losing games in general is what uh, you don't hear very often. So obviously, I expected a reaction of some sort. I, I was in half half a mind thinking maybe the final loss, maybe the amount of uh, physical, uh, they would be physically spent after the final, I thought, and emotionally spent as well because that loss was a, a little crushing on a side that has been as dominant as them so maybe you know i thought maybe they would be deflated or obviously there is the other side that maybe they would come out for blood and that is what we got they came out for blood and they sensed it from from literally from the kickoff like in the first minute you have a roll first chance from the corner inside five minutes they have like three corners i mean they it was inevitable what what happened later on. Uh, we are lucky the scoreline remained at full time four 0 because uh, before scoring the first goal, they hit the pole twice. They hit hit the post twice. So I mean, there was just, it's it's just typical Barcelona, you know, like they they don't just attack; they attack in wave after wave after waves. So it's not like okay, we have managed to hold out this attack now we can try to build something out no it's not like that as soon as you win the ball back they are onto you they hound you like like wolves and they just get the ball out the counter pressing was like insane we we could not even string one pass together let alone two so like the touches were poor as well I mean but when when the opposition is coming at you with that sort of intensity and that sort of uh, it's it's just it's just difficult and i don't know what we could have done to be to be very honest like yeah i mean you can change some personnel but i don't think that would have massively changed whatever has happened it's not like you know maite isn't press resistant or something like maite is are possibly one of the best uh, most press resistant midfielders in our squad so it wasn't like the personnel would have like made a Massive difference, but I don't know. Like it's as you spoke, it's it's just about the levels in the squad. Um, we are a step or two behind them, like two steps behind them at least. And we will we will get there, but we are not there just because like we had some good performances over over a stretch of period in a game uh, before against them, and we have played them multiple times. Doesn't mean like we have the blueprint to beat them i don't think any team has a sort of blueprint to beat them it's just like there are certain areas that you can target but you have to execute them to perfection teams like leon who have have the players who have the personnel to execute it to perfection can do it we are not quite there yet so i mean personnel changes or maybe, I don't know, like even tactical changes would have made a lot of difference when the side is coming out for blood, when a side like Barcelona is coming out for blood. So, yeah, I mean, it was just a typical Barcelona performance and we were on the receiving end of it.
0: Yeah, the other thing is, you know, Jonathan Giraldez has learned things from that first leg, right? Like a huge part of our scheme defensively was... It was not player-to-player player like Leon did it, but it was player-to-player player behind our front two. So we were doing a four four two high-press thing, right? And so the front two has to take the center backs and contain the defensive midfielder. And then from there, it was basically player-to-player player across the pitch, right? And then as we receded into a block, if Barca were able to progress, it became like a bit more zonal, like more ball-oriented, right? So like, you know, the far side winger would pinch in and it was, it was more, you know, focused on, Where's the ball at? Who's close to the ball? Pick up all those players and and press very intensely on the flanks. And so maybe you double up on a ball carrier. But like there was fundamentally like some kind of player to player concept going on defensively there. Right. And the way Barca had lined up right was Rolfo left wing, Leila left back, if I'm remembering correctly. Right. That was the initial lineup was obviously Rolfo was kind of coming inside. But it, it was just a bit easier for our for our fullback to kind of check the winger, right? And the winger takes the fullback. And there would be some kind of trading of assignments, of course, because football is is so fluid. Like it's never that organized where in every single sequence, everyone is going to be picking up who you thought you were going to pick up on paper. But there was a general idea like that, right? And from that idea, we were able to make organized like swaps of who was taking who. And, you know, orient towards the ball, like there was a good base to do it because everything kind of made sense, right? People had their initial kind of assignments, and then they could kind of react off of that. And when Hansen is playing on the other side, she she stays high and wide. She's a one versus one player. And so To say that makes things simplistic is wrong, but I think from an organizational perspective, it's more simplistic. It's the execution that's difficult because, okay, sure, you know you're going to take Hanson. The problem is you can't stop her, right? Unless you're Selma Basha, apparently. So there was that. And then how does Jonathan end up flipping the game after the penalty, right? He brings on Claudia Pina, who plays a little bit more of an interior role. I mean, their average positions, Rolfas and Pinas, were kind of similar from what we could see from the past maps, but Pina definitely played more as a midfielder, right? Her associative play was superior. And I think Jonathan took some lessons from that in the sense that obviously that was the lineup for the second leg, but you can tell with how when Mariona coming in and playing off the right, like we couldn't apply that like same defensive blueprint exactly and have it work the same way because A fullback cannot check Mariona because she doesn't play like a winger at all. Like, it's not a case of, oh, inverted winger. It's a case of she's just an extra midfielder, right? She was making runs into the left-hand side of the pitch to progress play to create chances for Barca, right? Like, if I'm remembering correctly... The chance where Mari- where Oshawala strikes a header off the post in the first half was Mariona coming to the left, receiving Zornoza tries to track her, or whatever, but she receives free and and, and Zornoza is too late to come. Then she feeds Alexia out to the left, and Alexia plays that crossing. in. beats Misa to the cross and it's off the post, right? I do not want Sophie Sveva tracking all the way across the entire width of the pitch to follow Mariona in that instance, right? It just doesn't make any sense. And you could say, okay, that's just the effect of playing Mariona, but the way Alexia was playing also kind of like, you know, maybe it was just because Barca were just at another level, but it kind of gave me the sense of she's playing, interpreting Barca's game plan in a much, much less rigid manner and making it far more difficult for a midfield tracker because she was also going way out to the touchline and it was very difficult for Tede to stretch all the way across, right? That's kind of an instance where you want to pass off the assignment But then Atenea has to worry about Rolfa bombing down that side, right? So in addition to the fact that Alexia was also making runs on the opposite side of the pitch, right? In the first goal that Barca score, Alexia makes an underlapping run into the right-hand side of the box. And remember, most of her touches were on the left touchline. So she makes a run into the right-hand side of the box, puts in a cutback or squares a pass across, and Martins comes in from the blind side and scores, and it's 1-0 it's very difficult to be like, okay, let's just transplant what we did in the first leg and contain Barca in the same way when their movements of the midfield are so much more dynamic. And suddenly that base, which makes all these like swapping of assignments and stuff more logical, it just becomes so much harder at, at a mental level to be able to process that and execute in lifetime. When all of this is happening in a perfectly like logical tactical way, right? Everyone is reacting off of each other in a way that makes sense, right? Which is what Barca do better than anyone else among a number of things. So I just wanted to like get that out there, like, you know, just pour out all my thoughts on that because if people were wondering, well, what happened in that game versus this one, besides, you know, oh, Barca were more motivated or they overcame their tired legs more. I think there were also some distinct tactical factors, right? There's this, what I'm talking about. There's the fact that, Barca pressed way more and ultimately they put the onus on our buildup to be what saves us in this game. Right. It, we, we did show patient buildup in that first, like versus Barca, but ultimately we were really able to kind of stick our foothold in the game by what we were doing defensively, right. By consistently regaining the ball, as soon as we were able to win it or clear it, eventually they were like, yeah, if you can defend as well as you want, but we're just going to keep coming at you. And at a certain point, you have to find a way to relieve pressure. And our biggest weakness really throughout our entire short history as Real Madrid Femenino is our buildup, right? We're just not that sophisticated of a team when it comes to our buildup structure and our buildup play. And that hasn't changed under Toril, you know, post-Oznar, really. Like, so that's obviously our our biggest area for improvement, but I, this was just a different game in a lot of ways. And that's why I'm not at all surprised the way it played out. So I have maybe like one other tactical thing to talk about, which I just find kind of funny. It's not super relevant in terms of how the game played out, but anything else you kind of want to say about, I guess what we were talking about or the first half as a whole. I mean, obviously um, there were more
1: chances that Barca created. Yeah. I mean, you have covered it brilliantly, obviously, but yeah, it is what, uh, as soon as I saw Mariona in the lineup, that was the first thought that what Mariona offers on a very basic level is this dynamism like she she is not gonna be a static player i mean not none of the players in Barcelona squad are static per se, but she is not gonna stick to one side or to one role. She's gonna roam about like literally everywhere across the whole width of the pitch to provide herself to just provide the support and create those numerical advantages in w- wherever the ball is. And that is what we saw here and that is what makes her such a lethal weapon even with or without touching the ball like that is what makes her so so crucial for this barcelona side because she can pop up anywhere as you as you mentioned from for that oshawa uh header that hit the post she she drifted down to all the way to the left side to just provide support and create and she was uh integral in creating that turn so that is what it is like she brings this this level of dynamism that just elevates everything barcelona do in possession because they always have that extra body wherever they need it to be so it's 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 just very hard to deal with as you as you talk about like we cannot approach that with a man marking approach but then if you move to zonal there's that numerical advantage that they have that we need to somehow compensate for, so it's it's really difficult. And like Mariona always does that, so it wasn't a surprise seeing her do that yet again. One sec, hold on, that.
0: just yeah. just because I forgot, I'm sorry, I I, I forgot to make on my final point on that. So before you move on from Mariona, just to kind of further emphasize what it is I'm saying, there's a reason when Leon went with the player to player scheme, they put a central midfielder on Mariona. It wasn't a fullback, right? It was. Lindsay Horan, whenever Barca were building down the left, that would pick up Mariona. Amandine Henry would pick up Alexia. Katerina Macario would go to Patri, And then Melvin Mallard, who was the left winger, tucked inside onto Aitana on the far side, right? And that, I mean, I don't, I, my guess is like, just based on what we're seeing, Sonia Bampo's store guessed that Mariona would be starting and designed a very specific scheme for that, right? Like, I, I think that just kind of, further emphasize what I'm saying about how you deal with Mariona and why our scheme didn't translate. Now, the other thing with that is look, Oshawa did not start that game. And so even though that worked in that moment, what would it have been like had, you know, you were still calling the fullback out because the fullback has to do something right. And so you were having the fullback deal with Rolfa had Oshawa been able to make runs in the channels, what would have happened? Who knows? But, you know, regardless, there's a reason Leon did that with the player to player scheme to contain Mariona. And just consider how different that is from, you know, a 4-4-2 using your fullbacks to contain, you know, the nominal wide players.
1: So sorry, Yash, continue. No, I was just going to make that Oshoala point because they started with Jenny in, in the final. And like that that was a problem, I felt like, because Jenny and Mariona are, you know, operate in, in a sort of similar zone. So they were like, there wasn't anyone who was making, who was stretching the back line or making those runs in behind so or or in the channel so none of those players make those sort of runs so that is where they had two players sort of with an overlapping tendency uh with the tendencies that overlap on on, on the ball and off the ball so that wasn't really allowed them to maximize what they could do in possession and today when they started Oshoala we could we could really see because we saw it multiple times uh across the entire entirety of the 90 minutes that oshoala oshoala is just great at running channels even though sometimes most times her runs aren't well timed like she gets caught offside but it just has to click once you know it doesn't have to come off all the 10 times that she attempts it it, it comes off once she scores a goal and she's clear in behind and she scores a goal so that is what it is like you have to consistently have a th- when you have a player like Mariona or somebody like Jenny, who who is dropping deep and like acting as that dynamic player who can provide support wherever the possession is, you need to have somebody who is constantly occupying the center backs or making those runs into the channel to challenge and to keep the back line as uh, you know, uh, uh, on their toes uh, or en- engaged, you know, so that is what didn't happen in the final, and that is what was different. Uh, what that is what was different today. Uh, then I mean Barcelona just had a plethora of chances across the first half, and to be honest, our only like outlet was Esther dropping deep and just using her quick feet to beat some sort of pressure and then release the ball. I mean that too didn't really help us evade a lot of pressure, but uh, for a moment. For a moment, it allowed us to, like, release some sort of pressure. Uh, Esther was arguably the only player that had some sort of positive or standout moments in that first half for me. Because uh, she she displays, uh, displayed really quick feet. Like, she, she was really silky on her. Whenever she got the touch, she was able to, like, dribble past players or, you know, she was able to hold the ball off uh, in whenever she was like under pressure as well so that was really good to see but then i think she picked up an injury and that is why she was uh taken off in the second half but i will get to that uh but that is all i mean there was nothing we we weren't even able to like enter the final third that many times like in the first five minutes it happened once with uh uh with Athenea just uh, charging down the right and, uh, you know, dribbling past one, two players making Rolfo sit down and the cross was then not that not that great. But apart from that, we didn't really have uh, much even beyond like in the first five minutes we have uh, Athenea doing that twice. But then again, after that, we didn't really see that happening ever again, because then that battle between Athenea and Rolfo was just a very one sided battle because Rolfo was able to match her for pace as well and i mean there weren't many options for Atenea to be you know to make stuff happen just out of thin air so though that duel was often won by uh, Rolfo moving forward. so there wasn't there wasn't that much uh, of that then I, in i felt like i would also like to talk about like teres performance yeah although the overall scheme and the tactics weren't that good we weren't able to match them I felt Tere was a little, I don't know, like physically spent even in the first 20-25 minutes. uh, The goal that came, she just lost track of uh, Alexia's runs. I know it's hard to like track, but she was, she looked over her shoulder to check where uh, Alexia was. And then she just switched uh, to watch the ball for a moment. And that is when she just lost Alexia like completely. And then she makes a run to the byline on the right-hand side and plays the cutback, and that's the goal. But she looked she looked quite spent to me. Her passes weren't coming off. There were some heavy touches. Her passes were hitting. Uh, her passes were sloppy, hitting teammates and stuff like that. So I don't know. It wasn't a great performance from Tere overall, but it wasn't a great performance from anyone in the side except maybe Esther had some good moments. So yeah, I mean. And Misa made some saves, obviously. I mean, I don't know. We can talk about the corner kick
0: on the corner kick goal that Barca scored and what was going on there. Um, but by and large, I think Misa accounted herself well, as she normally does in non-European competition, it seems, versus Barcelona. Um, I mean, the standout one, obviously, is the one-versus-one save she made versus Oshawa in the second half. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, pretty much what you're saying is correct. So that's the other tactical note, which... I said it was kind of funny. I mean, I don't really know if it's funny at all to, to anyone but me, but there was some talk about how Ingrid and Yin played and look, I think she was fine. Like, I don't think she was bad at all, but like, there was a lot of like, you know, this is like her moment, like what a game and stuff. And the reason it's funny to me is because like, she was literally like, she didn't have a role in build up like at all. Like I'd love to be able to see what the touches were for her and passes attempted relative to everyone else, because Aitana was playing two roles today. One was reacting off of Mariona, threatening, you know, high in the half space, connecting down that side. And then the other, which was generally the first thing she was doing, which was dropping off and conducting play from deep. And she would just kind of sit us across from Enyan, collect the ball, look up, play it somewhere else. And it was like the entire buildup just kind of passed around her and then Enyan's role was to to kind of pick up loose balls win a couple of duels in midfield which she did well and and that's fine right like that was really all she kind of needed to do but it was just kind of like to me like i don't know like the fact that Aitano was basically just doing her job and Enyan was just getting to kind of sit there and relax and get the best view of anyone of you know barca's build-up dynamics and then every like five minutes maybe collect a loose pass like you know kind of a dream job i guess but It's there's a pretty stark difference I think when Patli is in when versus when she is in and it's always interesting to see like what is it like when Enyan comes in and I guess Jonathan was like yeah man just let Aitana do everything because she's good enough and and Enyan will be there for kind of like defensive transition or whatever I guess so I don't know that's how you saw it but like it looked like extremely obvious to me
1: yeah you're a hater that is what it is (laughs) but no like. She didn't really have much to do. <laughs> to be fair, she was just picking up loose balls as you said. As you said, didn't really have a big role in uh, in the build-up phases, which you normally expect from a pivot uh, in that Barcelona midfield. But yeah, I mean
0: <laughs> look I, I, I it, she was it. fine. It's just like it's such a stark diff. Like if Pati was in there, she's gonna be like restarting play. And with Enyan in there, it was like you know, like, all right, just, you know, just move a little bit over there and I kind of will take care of everything. But yeah, it literally, like, I mean, it says a lot about Barca's performance, but that was what was happening. We still got, like, absolutely destroyed. It made no difference whatsoever. Um, it was just something I picked up on. Anything else about the first half?
1: No, not really. I mean, I think we covered it pretty well. There were a couple of chances in the in the 30th minute, uh, in the 28th minute, I I think uh Misa makes a great save uh off of Aitana uh she cuts in on her left foot and then curls one in Misa dives to her right and makes the save but yeah I mean apart from that we didn't really have many chances Athena had a shot that just went over but that was our only like shot in the half I think so nothing much to discuss in the first half
0: yeah, so Toril, interestingly enough, at halftime, subs off Esther for Naikari. Given like what you said about how Esther was the only one like really having any moments versus the press, like that's that's interesting, I guess. But I maybe he wanted someone who's more disciplined pushing back the last line because Esther was dropping like really deep and wide. And at some times it didn't necessarily like make sense what she was doing. So I guess it was like maybe we have Maite doing more of that, although I don't think it made a difference at all, but that was the change that Totale ended up making. And then like literally like in two minutes, Aitana ends up scoring. You want to take us through that sequence?
1: I mean, I, I was, was Esther taken off due to the I mean, there might be a tactical reason as well, but I felt like she picked up something and they didn't want to risk. Oh,
0: okay, I mean, I, that's yeah, maybe possible. Yeah, I guess, which would yeah, then maybe. make Asani not coming in even more interesting, but we'll, we'll get yeah. to that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean the second half begins, and then we have Aitana's goal within like a minute. So leaky slides Oshoala through in behind. Like she takes a time for the shot. Misa gets to it, doesn't manage to get a shot off properly. But then the loose ball falls to Oshoala again, who plays. Uh, then Aitana has made a run into the box, so she finds her, and then Aitana with her quick feet beats a challenge takes a touch and scores pass. So, I mean, that is where everything just started. I mean, we were imploding before, but now it just started showing up on the score sheet as well, which isn't nice always. And then immediately, like five minutes later, Barcelona score off a corner. I mean, our, our set piece defending has been bad. Like it has been a common theme throughout the season. I I felt like, we have gotten creative on our attacking set pieces a little. But like defending, I mean, that wasn't even defending on the third goal. Like, I, I don't know what it was. Mariona is just standing there unmarked, completely unmarked in front of the goalkeeper. She gets the ball and she scores. Like, I don't know. Like, from corners, the, in this game, partic- not in this game, like in throughout the season, our corner or set piece defending hasn't been great. So it wasn't a surprise but it was just terrible to watch like because nobody literally nobody picked up Mariona and and she's just standing she's standing right in front of the goalkeeper How is nobody picking her up or I don't know if, if like Misa was supposed to come out or collect it because it didn't seem like a cross that a goalkeeper would collect so I don't know like that was just terrible and that was Barcelona's 11th corner of the game like it was 50 second minute. And it was Barcelona's 11th corner of the game. So, like, that just tells you how frequently they were managing to get to that final third and create these sorts of opportunities.
0: Yeah, that's like a that. corner over every five minutes. <laughs> um, yeah, that that was like, all right, if it wasn't over already, like, it's over, let's go home. Um, I, like, I still can't really figure out what was going on there. I The only thing I can guess is there was miscommunication and the defenders are like Nisa is going to pick up any ball into the area, but the way she was positioned, like a yard behind Mariona doesn't even really attempt to come out and get it until it's way too late. And so she has no chance there. We just hadn't figured out what our assignments were in that moment. And I mean, I think a dominant keeper who's good at coming out and, and claiming crosses can probably get there and read it, but like, that's not Nisa's game. And the corners kind of need to be designed, our, our defense needs to be designed around that fact. And you can't just allow someone to be able to stand right there in the six yard box to, you know, receive freely. And then, you know, rely on Nisa to come out when she's not even clear that that's what she's supposed to do in that moment. So yeah, that was a weird one. And uh, I mean, I don't know how much time we're going to spend on film on this one, given it's Barca and given that it's the last match of the season, but that one requires some real scrutiny, to be honest so that was the third goal and then at this point like here is like all right enough is enough we have a final ahead so Claudia Pina, Leila and Trinogorcevic come on for Alexia Mariona and Lika Martins and in the 68th minute Toril goes for his uh, second set of subs or I guess set is not the word because now you're coming on for Esther She's just It's just one sub, but he goes for (laughs) he goes for his second round of subs with Tede coming on for Kasian and and, uh or or, pardon me coming on for teddy and Muller coming on for Olga. And like at this point in time, okay, the intensity is way off, right? Like Barca have not are not pressing nearly as much. It's more of a mid-high block. The possession stakes even out way more. I think at some point in the second half, it was like 43% possession to us for the entire game, which kind of showed you how much Barca had taken their foot off the gas at this point in time. And so we had some spells further up the pitch, which just kind of meant that Oshawa was going to have more space eventually. And she kind of gets going on a build-up sequence where we're defending very loosely at this point. It's a pass into Pina who spins away like really, really easily, then plays Oshawa in behind. This time she just, you know, takes a touch past Misa and she scores in an open goal. And that's the end of the game there, basically in the 75th minute. And then we get to like really, I think, what's the most interesting talking point from a Real Madrid perspective. I mean, Yash, after I say this, I guess you can maybe say some more stuff about the game if you want. But we have the final two subs from Toril after this point is Sveva being replaced by Kenti and Maite being replaced by Paola Partido from the Cantera, which means that those are the fourth and fifth subs. So Kosovari, Aslani, and Marta Cardona at that point in time would not have a chance to be able to play in the game. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, well, I will get to that. Just I just wanted to, like, I mean, yeah, after the subs, the intensity went down, but, like, Pina's performance was just, like, I felt... I mean, every time I watch her, I, I've been watching her since since she played for like Spanish youth teams. Like she is just a level above. She was just a level above everyone else, and like she has so seamlessly settled in, and like she's delivering at the senior stage as well. It's it's just ridiculous how good she is. In, in I think in the seventy third minute, she was she she was on the right hand uh, like she was in the defensive third of barcelona on the right hand side she played a little exchange on the right hand side and then she played a long diagonal on to the left that switch for uh, leila wahabi's run i mean a her vision is just exceptional then to match that with the execution and the weight on the ball to find like to perfectly cushion the ball into the space like not not too much and not too little that's just it's just incredible how 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 she executes it and she is incredibly press resistant too like she was dropping deep now with when she was subbed in now barcelona had two two midfielders who can who were doing basically the aitana role now so i mean she was dropping deep she was breaking lines with her carries she was picking out runners in behind like it was just it was a fantastic performance from her and i don't know like this kid is gonna go like she's gonna explode if she hasn't already, I, I think to, with today's contribution, her overall uh, tally for the season has gone to like thirty-two goals plus assists in thirty-six appearances. I mean, that's that's just ridiculous. I don't know. Like she's gonna go, she's gonna go big. I mean, she's already big, but she's gonna go massive. So yeah. Then coming back to what is probably the talking point about the game, the final two subs. I mean. I don't know man, it it just it just felt like we owe them a moment after like Cardona was like extremely important for us last season. Aslani was our first signing. Like Aslani has been here like even before we were Real Madrid on paper. So I mean it's just it just felt like a little a disservice to what they have done for the club in such a in such a small period they have made an impact that players will come like many players will come many big names will come in the future probably but the bond that you know fans have with these sorts of pioneer players who like laid the foundation work like players like Aslani who came here when we were nothing then players like Cardona who came here and pushed us to that uh, you know apex tournament in Europe that is the champions league by you know, at many times Cardona won us the game individually via her long shots or anything like that. She produced magic on a consistent basis last season. This season, she hasn't been able to due to multiple injuries, recurring injuries. That's fine, but I felt like they deserved a the moment with the fans for what they have done. And I mean, the game was already over like 4 nil Paula Partido isn't gonna change the game. She had a great tournament. Shout out to her. She had a great tournament uh, in the under-17s European Championship. They finished runner-up. She was uh, really crucial for Spain. But come on, like, she's going to have opportunities going forwards as well. She's brilliant. She's talented. She's going to have those opportunities. But if possibly Aslani's departure is what is almost confirmed, like, we have all, like, made peace with that Aslani isn't renewing possibly. So this was her final game. This was against Barcelona. Like we all know how much Aslani loves Madrid, how big of a Madridista she is. So this was the perfect game to like, even if we are losing 4-0, doesn't matter. This was the moment to give her that, you know, that send-off that she deserves. Like bavet got time on the pitch. Casi got time on the pitch. Aslani deserved time on the pitch. I, I don't know. Like it, it's it may be just emotional thing, but I felt we owe. We owed it to them, and Cardona as well. Cardona, ever since coming in, the way she formed a partnership with that front three of Sofia, Jakobsen, Aslani, and Cardona, the way those three worked off. I mean, we have excellent memories of those times. Like we have some really memorable moments of of those three players. Like jakobson is gone, Aslani and Cardona are leaving too. Like it just fe- feels even we haven't like seen an era at Real Madrid women yet, but it still feels like an end of an era per se. But yeah, I don't know. Like it just felt like a disservice to them.
0: Yeah, man, I'm not going to lie. Like I was only listening to half of what you were saying because as we're doing this, there was, there's a a space right now on Twitter, hashtag Rozel out, obviously where apparently Cardona joined it for like two minutes. So I was like desperately trying to like, see if she was still there, which I don't think she is. And like, also kind of hear what they were talking about. So I think I got enough of what you're saying though, but like, man, like if I seem a little like, you know, trying to recollect my thoughts, that's why a lot happening at the moment. So yeah. Toril spoke about why they didn't play obviously because he was asked about it and uh, it was pretty brief. He was like Asani did not play because I wanted to play with three midfielders. And uh, Cardona did not play because she wasn't fully fit or something like that, which look the three midfielders thing, like in terms of starting them in the match, I think there's any sort of logic that you can defend for not starting them. Right. Because it's the semifinals of a cup and we probably want to win if we can, but when it becomes three nil and the match is completely over and like your team is literally just giving up, you know, a shot right in front of goal on a set piece it's over, man. And I don't know what three midfielders is going to do for you in any way, like in any sense of framing it that like is more important than like, I think maybe giving a little bit of a tribute to Aslami. And then I guess like if Cardona like really cannot play and she's fit enough if she's not fit enough, like it's a player safety thing, but I don't look, I I'm not an idiot. Like, I don't, I don't really think that's what, what it was about. I pretty sure she could have played like, five minutes at the end of the game just standing there and I I don't know exactly how to feel about this because for one like I'm very biased here and like when I'm biased I try to be like extremely open about it right like Cardona is that player for me right it's the player where I'm sure Yash you have yours and maybe you can talk about who that was like you know for like 30 seconds afterwards but like Cardona is that player for me in women's football who like you know it's a one-sided connection but you form that connection with right like there it's there's just that player where, you know, you enter, whether it's a new sport or a new side of the sport where you start following that. And then you're just like, OK, this is the player who just gives me a different type of feeling, you know, when I watch them play. Right. And when I started watching, you know, also on a consistent basis, it started off with that Talcon season. But we couldn't watch half the away games or most of the away games really. The season ended, you know, just cut short by COVID and it did not restart like the men's leagues. And at that point in time, I was just really burned out by football and I was not following the women's team in the way that I would for that next season. Right. So yeah, I guess I felt like an affinity for Sofia Jakobsen and I know a but it wasn't really the same, right? Like the real beginning for me was that next season. It was like, okay, we're Real Madrid proper, right? We have the badge, we have the kit, we're going to be able to watch most games, or at least I know how to watch most games now and what I need to do. All right, this is the one. And then Marta Cardona went on to be our best player that season, playing in the exact type of style that I've always loved since I was a kid, right? A fast winger, you know, a brilliant dribbler, right? You know, scoring big goals in big moments, had, you know, a winner mentality, right? Like that cliche, like, you know, this is the type of player who like genuinely like frustrated ruins her day if we lost a preseason match. And then on top of that, there was the whole like flash Cardona thing with Marina and like the way she connected with the fans, like she's just that player for me, right? Like there will never be another player like that for me, because it was a very specific moment in time when I, I joined women's football, right? It's just impossible. Everyone has that player. So when I speak on this, just keep that in, in mind. But I do think I'm trying to speak as objectively as possible. And for for But for this reason, I'm not going to freak out about this moment, but it does feel to me kind of ugly that in this moment in time when the stakes were non-existent you couldn't give minutes to two of your brightest attackers two of your most important attackers of the last few years who drove the success of our campaign last season and you know the excuses are i wanted to play with three central midfielders and cardona had just kind of come back from injury it just it feels a bit cold to me and look like the fans obviously they showed up to support the team obviously they showed up with the hope that they could propel their team to some kind of result. But I think we all knew that wasn't going to happen, right? They really showed up because this was a moment for them to be able to say goodbye to these players in the final match that they will probably ever play for round of grace, not confirmed, confirmed, but at this point, that's really kind of what it looks like, especially when Cardona joins a space that says hashtag Roselle out. That just seems to me like that was a conscious decision. And why was the decision made? On the one hand, you could just say that Real Madrid have generally been kind of cold with the foundational figures of our club, right? We did not want to pay Jakobsen and we're like, okay, you can you can leave, right? Like, that's it, right? We didn't want to pay Aslani and she ended up staying because she took a lower amount of money. You know, we're, we're where we're at with Cardona because she wanted more money and we're like, yeah, you know what? No. And because you're dragging this on too long, we're going to rescind our offer and it's over, right? Right. And so that's one side of it, right? There's just a ruthless side of it that Real Madrid's like we're going to look on to the to the next day and we're going to look on to tomorrow, and the past doesn't matter. But also, like I think, you know, we we didn't do that with we we gave Bob's her send off, right? We made a nice video for Bob's before this game even, and then Cassey got subbed on. I think there's a sense that the relationship the club has with those two players is much more amicable than with Aslani and Cardona at the moment. With Aslani, it's less clear to me why that would be the case, given all the sacrifices that Aslani has made for this club and how she's been more motivated to play for us than we've been to have her, you know, for most of the time. I mean, maybe it's because at one point there was a Facebook post where she was complaining about the physicality of the league and saying that she needed to leave. There were, you know, mumblings about aslani talking to a fan and and this tweet was deleted but apparently aslani telling a fan the club doesn't value but you guys value me and that's why i'm leaving maybe stuff like that and maybe there's something behind the scenes in her negotiations with the club that went sour with cardona it seems to be a little bit more clear right the negotiations didn't go well there's apparently frustration about the way she managed her injury and coming back too quickly and there's also some other things that i don't still don't know whether i should really talk about but the relationship between the club and Cardona is just very poor at the moment. And if that's the reason that we didn't get to see these two play, I don't know, man, like just let it go. Like it's over, you know, like think about what this means for the fans more than anyone else. And think about like the, the history, the reputation that Real Madrid has carried fairly or unfairly about the way they treat their legends. Now I don't know if legends is a word to use here, but we're three years into our history and these are two of the most important attackers we've ever had who have brought more meaning, you know, to, to, you know, and, and feeling to what we've accomplished on the pitch than, you know, most other players. Right. So I just don't get why it couldn't have been done. It feels a bit petty and uh, that that's just going to leave us with a bad feeling. Obviously the fans would have still gone to say goodbye anyway, because, you know, there's all the post-match stuff. The players would have, you know, come up to the fans signing autographs and stuff. Someone said that Cardona was crying at the end which I don't know whether you want to believe that or take it with a grain of salt, but someone who was at the stadium said that that was the case. So yeah, it's just not great. Is it, whether it's really that serious or not, I, it just felt like you would have lost nothing by doing this. And um, it was something that every fan wanted. It's certainly something I wanted. And yeah, I guess just to wrap up the discussion on it, like, i don't know man for me it was like all i wanted this season on an emotional level was just to see cardona play like that's it i just wanted to feel that joy again of watching someone like that play that honestly more and more as i watch football like i find it difficult to like really get you know get that feeling so yeah on a personal level it hurts a lot and i don't know man i just i just think we are gonna handle it differently um Anything else you want to add on to that? You want to give us like your 30-second story on you know who your Marta Cardona is?
1: Yeah, my Marta Cardona is gonna remain a secret because then I get called out on it. So yeah, I mean overall it just felt like disservice to two two players who have like defined an era for Real Madrid women. Although we haven't had an era per se, but like these are the foundational figures that we will look back on when we have Greater successes in the future, because when Aslani joined us when like we were we were nothing like we were just a club that was going to be Real Madrid, she was of course signing she's a historical figure, like I have said that before as well in the previous part as well that she's a historical figure whenever we talk about Real Madrid, we cannot we can't not mention Aslani Cardona she exploded with us. In the previous season, that was her personal best season as well, and she propelled us to greater heights alongside Aslani and Jakobson. Like that front three had brought us so many good, good memories. Cardona won us games single-handedly on occasions, and that is the reason why we managed to play in the Champions League in the first place. So, you know, just if not five, just two, three minutes where she's just standing on the pitch, where the fans get to see her in the new kit, on the pitch, you know, doing bits, at least touching the ball, playing just one back pass or anything, like, that is what, like, fans would have remembered. I don't know what goes on behind the scenes. I don't know how the relationship between the mm-hmm. between Cardona and the club, between Aslani and the club are. I, I, I have heard a lot of things that have gone wrong on the behind the scenes, but Beyond that, like you have to look beyond that. You have to, I don't know when, when players have done so much for the club. When, when club wasn't thinking about, yeah, I mean, club was thinking about it. But these players are what defined Real Madrid. These these are the players that that fans identify as Real Madrid femenino. You know, when we talk about Real Madrid femenino, we we are talking about Aslani. We are talking about Cardona, who was, you know, exploded into this really excellent winger in in the league, who now has end product to her as well. We are talking about a player who has like exploded onto the scene and made her mark for the national team as well. Who who is being talked about as one of the best wingers in the league and one of the top wingers across the world. So I don't know. You could have just given her a moment with the fans that she and the fans both deserved. Yeah, it just. It just felt like a disservice to both of them. I don't know. It just it just ends on a really bad note. Something so beautiful that we have experienced over the last few years just coming to an end, and you know us not wrapping it up nicely just leaves a little sour taste in the in the end. So yeah, it's a weird way to end the season when
0: the story for us ending the season was going to be we clinch Champions League qualification on the final day, right and you know, this would have been like, ah, whatever, you know, Barca, it would have been nice if we went through, but that's not the real story. And now what everything is, is anyone is going to talk about now is this, it just feels, it feels weird. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a slap in the face of those players. And I think it's in the fans as well, because when I see we, obviously I wasn't there, but we showed up because we wanted that moment, right. We wanted something in return and uh, we were not able to get that. So yeah, strange. And, uh, I guess we'll see what comes of it in the coming days. Obviously now our eyes are peeled constantly for when the official confirmation will come as to Aslani and Cardona leaving. Cause it's not official official, but the way it seems now is that like it basically is. And um, I really, really hope so, but I don't think we're going to get what happened last season where everything looked like Aslani was leaving. And then suddenly it's like, Nope, she's staying. I, I don't know if I, I don't think that's going to happen at this point, unfortunately. And um Yeah, we'll just try to keep track of that as things go forward. Yeah, so I mean, the season is over. This is it. And uh, we'll see how much time we have because obviously managing Madrid's focus after this is going to be Champions League final time. And then, you know, we transition to other stuff in the summer. But I'm really like, you know, hoping we can carve out some time to both review the season, but then do our proper tributes, you know, do what Real Madrid, let's be honest, couldn't do at least of yet for some of these players like Astani and Cardona, because I, I think they deserve it. So, Yash, really appreciate you uh, doing this with me and speaking so candidly about this. I think you always bring a fantastic perspective, especially as someone who's been watching women's football for a long time. So I think you understand what this means more than most. has always been a pleasure talking to you and uh, Ala Madrid.
1: Ala Madrid.